So tonight, uh, we're going to continue in our series, uh, which we entitled Taking It Back, Robbing the Thief. Uh, it's just talking about the things that maybe the devil has stolen from us. And as we as the people of God, we need to take it back. We need to take it back. And we've been looking at uh, different topics. Uh, and when it's talking about robbing the thief, I, I thought about uh, my, grand, my grandkids live with me. And, and a lot of times they'll leave their toys in the front yard. And there's a neighbor kid. He's probably about four or five years old. It always, I have cameras in my house. You know, I got them all over the house. And I'll be watching the cameras, and there he is looking around. It's like, shh, 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 you know, and it's all around the front door. Hey, put that back, you know. So it's good to get your stuff back, amen. So it's time about robbing the thief, amen. And, and we look at that, and the scriptures we're using in John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the goal of the devil is to come and to steal, kill, and destroy the very things that God wants to do in our lives, to destroy the very relationship that we have with God. But Jesus says, I want to give you a better life. I want to give you a more abundant life. One of the other scriptures that we're using is in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 8. It says, and David uh, inquired of the Lord. He says, shall I pursue this raiding party? What happened is David, things were stolen from David, and we're going to get into it a little bit later. But he starts to inquire of the Lord. He says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? He says, shall I go and take back what has been stolen from me? And God speaks to him. He says, pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Tonight, as we've been looking at taking back different topics, tonight we want to look at taking back peace. Because the devil comes many times and he begins to rob us of our peace in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus speaks and he says, I am leaving you with a gift. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he talks about with that Holy Spirit comes a peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give uh, is a gift that the world cannot give. He says, so don't let your heart be troubled or be afraid. Again, true peace comes from God. Through our relationship with Jesus Christ and having that close relationship with him, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which brings peace in our lives. We don't have to be troubled. We don't have to be afraid. But see, the world comes, and they try to give us peace, but the world can't give us the peace that God gives us. What the world offers as peace is only temporary. It's only a temporary fix, but it's not a true peace that God can give us. See, the devil will try to rob us when, when we look to the world to try to find peace. That's when the devil comes in and robs us for our peace. The first topic, and, and I've been going through some issues, and God spoke to me, and there's other issues that, that we, we can look at uh, when we talk about things that are robbed from us, uh, financial situations, you know, that, that, that we go through financial difficulties, and that can rob us of our peace. Going through health issues, having health issues, and struggling with your health, and those can also rob you of your peace, but there's a couple that sp uh, stood out to me that I want to look at tonight. The first one is I want to talk about is praying for others. Praying for others for their peace. On June 19th, I mentioned last month or month before that my dad went home to be with the Lord. My dad went home to be with the Lord on a Monday. Two, day late, two days later, I was scheduled to preach. I was scheduled to preach uh, the two days later after my dad went to go be with the Lord. And both Pastor Matt and Pastor Dan reached out to me and said, hey, don't worry about it. We can cover for you. If you need time off, don't, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And I really appreciated that, that they were looking out for me. They said, you know what, I, you just, if you've got to grieve, you've got to take care of your family, don't worry about it, we'll cover it. But I, I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm to be there because for two reasons. The first one is my dad wouldn't want me to stop. My dad would want me to go forward for God. And I know that. He said, you know what, don't, don't stop, keep going. Don't stop, you know, keep going. And the second reason why is I, can, I knew God was with me. I knew God was going to be with me. I knew God was going to help me. And when I came and preached, God was with me. God was helping me. God was giving me peace. 
right after my dad went to be with the Lord, I was talking to Emmanuel Yep. We were talking on Sunday morning. And he just asked me, how you doing? How's it going? How are you? And he said, you know, man, I, I haven't lost it. I just haven't lost it. I just have such a peace that God has given me. And this is what he told me. He said, you know what it is? It's all the prayers that everybody's been praying for you and your family. It is all the prayers. And it's so true because I needed God. I needed God. I needed his peace. And those prayers were felt. And those that are praying for my family, I thank you because they were felt. And it got me through, you know, this time. It's so important to pray for others. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, it says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. It's talking about praying and being persistent in your prayers for one another. It says, be alert. Look out for those that need prayer. Look out. Be on alert and, and be prepared. Just continue to pray for them and believers everywhere. Because tonight, church, we have brothers and sisters that have been robbed of their, pre, of their peace. And had talked about through health issues, through financial difficulties. But the one I want to look at tonight, another way that people have been robbed through their peace, and probably because I've been going through it, it's grieving the loss of a loved one. It's when God takes someone you love home, and there be a spouse, parent, a family member, a close friend. And it's okay to grieve, but we can't grieve to the point where it begins to rob us of our peace. Where we're grieving excessively, where it's just like we have no more peace. I had a close friend that passed away many, many years ago. Just a tragic death. And we were at Rose Hills. They were having the viewing there. And I don't like viewings. Even my dad's viewing, I sat out in the wind. I just don't like viewings. Because everybody's just sitting there staring at each other. So my wife stood in the lobby. So his daughter was in the lobby. So I just sat with her and we were talking. And her cousins come in to her and we're talking. And they say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you in there? Why aren't you crying? Don't you love your dad? I got, man, you lying devil, I thought to myself. But it wasn't that. It was that God had given her peace. I just told her, don't listen to them. I know you love your dad, but the devil comes and begins to lie to us. I was telling Tina what Manuel had told me, how it was the prayers that everybody was praying for. I was telling her, man, I just have such a peace during this time. And, and I told her, Manuel had said, you know, it's all the, all the prayers of everybody. And Tina told me, she goes, you know what it is? It's that peace that surpasses all understanding. In Ephesians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. It gets us where God will give us peace through anything. And it, and it's, it, it says it surpasses our understanding. It's something that we just can't figure out. We just don't understand it. It's something that's supernatural that God gives us that peace. And it says that God will give us that supernatural peace that surpasses our understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds. What happened was about a week later, after I got done telling her this, we were talking again. And I, again, I, was just, I just felt this peace. I, did, I didn't lose it. I, wasn't, you know, I just didn't lose it. And I told her, man, and I started questioning myself. And I go, what's wrong with me? Why haven't I been crying? Don't I love my dad? Started repeating the very things that these girls were telling this cousin. I didn't even realize it. The devil started lying to me. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you crying? Don't you love your dad? And she tells me this. She, tells, she didn't even know what I was preaching. She tells me this. It's the devil that's trying to rob you of the peace that God has given you. The devil's trying to rob your peace. God has given you so much peace, and he's causing you to doubt yourself, to question your very love for your father. See, when you love someone, you love. When you lose someone you love, the enemy will come in and try to steal our peace. 
And I understand the tears, the pain is real, and it's okay to mourn. But we can't get to the point where it's excessive, where it robs us. Because we miss everything about them. It seems like everything, everything around us reminds us, us of them, which makes it even harder. It's like everything you see kind of reminds you of them. I shared this before. Every summer we go to Big Bear. I take all my kids, my grandkids, get a big house, and we spend the week there. And for those that know Big Bear, in the village, there's one place you always got to stop at. And that's the North Pole Fudge and Ice Cream Company, amen, forever they've been there. That's like being in Wonka Land, amen. You just walk in the door and it's like chocolate everywhere. It's like this whole counter is this chocolate of everything you could imagine that's dipped in chocolate. And then you go to the back and there's just ice cream for days, you know. And it's like every year that's our favorite stop. That's our, 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 our must do when we go to Bigger's. Go to, the, again, North Pole Fudge and Ice Cream Company. So we were there last week and... A couple times when we went to Big Bear, we went with my parents, and I took my dad to that place, and he just fell in love with that place because my dad's got had this sweet tooth. I mean, he loved sweets. He was just notorious for that. So I'm there. Last week, we were, we were there last week. We were in Big Bear last week. We spent the week there, and, of course, we made our stop at the, uh, the place, and there with our waffle cone, you know, big old waffle cone with the two scoops of Rocky Road and, and uh, butter pecan. We're standing, and we're standing at the counter, and we're just like, Getting a snack for later on, you know. It's like, okay, what do we want? You know, it's like, we're, we're going all in on the chocolate, amen. And as me and Tina are standing there, I think to myself, oh, I got to get my dad some. And it just hit me. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. So the first thing that came to my mind, oh, I got to get some for my dad. And as all of a sudden, it just, the thought came to me. And it's where the devil comes in to become the lie to us. We get those thoughts that they're not here, and they're never coming back. You'll never see them again. It begins to disrupt our peace that God wants to give us. When this happens, what do we do? Do we start to remember where they are and begin to rejoice that they are in the presence of God? That they made it. And we know that we are going to see them again. Or do we start to feel like it's not fair, God? It's not fair, God. It's not fair. I needed more time. And become angry with God. And begin to point our finger at God and say, God, this isn't right. And what happens is we find ourselves weeping uncontrollably. We just can't control it because of this pain. The devil's trying to rob us of our peace, and we get to the point that we feel like we just can't carry on because of this heavy weight of grief. What happens is the devil begins to rob us of our peace. In 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 8, it tells again the scripture that we're using in our series is, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And the reason is, if you go back a couple chapters, you'll find the reason why David comes to this point. In, verse, in 1 Samuel chapter 27, as Saul is pursuing David, as David is fleeing from Saul, Saul is pursuing him, trying to kill him, it says in verse 1, it says that David thought to himself. David didn't see God. David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. One of these days Saul is going to finally get me. He says the best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. David was without peace. He was running and running from Saul. Saul kept pursuing him. He said, you know what? I give up. You know what? I'm going to go plant myself in the land of my enemies. 
David was, in, was at peace because he didn't seek God. It says he thought to himself. He wasn't seeking God, and what did he do? He decides that he's going to take refuge in the land of his enemies. In fact, First Samuel, as they are there, and, you know, and I'm going to get into more later, but again, you see all that David goes through as he's there in the land of his enemies. But we get to chapter, First uh, um, Samuel chapter 30, in verse 1, and it says, David is men rich Ziglag. This is where they were staying. They were out, you know, pillaging the land, and, and, and it says that they were coming back to their homeland, home, where they were staying. It says, David his men re- reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amicalites had raided Negev and Ziklag, and they attacked Ziklag and burned it, and taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as far as they went on. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed, by fire, and their wives, sons, and daughters were taken captive. The very land that they settled in the land of their enemies, they went out, you know, to do what they were doing, and they came back and found out that the place they were staying was raided. They took their wives, their kids, their children. They took everything, and they burned that city. So in verse 4 of that same chapter, it says, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength. They, they had no more strength left to weep. They were grieving. They lost their wives, their children, their possessions. They were grieving, and it says they wept till they had no more strength. They were weeping uncontrollably. What happens is these men were robbed of their peace. Their families, their possessions were robbed from them. There was excessive grieving. When, when excessive grieving hits us, it will weaken us also. It will wear us out when we don't want to move forward. We don't want to keep moving forward for God. When we start to distance ourselves from God and others also, we begin to start missing church because we've been robbed of our peace. In Matthew 4, 5, 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In the NLT, it says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's important that we understand that, yes, God will be comforted, but it's going to come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to find our comfort in a relationship with Jesus. And in that comfort, we are going to find peace. It's not the peace the world gives, but it's a peace that goes way beyond our understanding. But again, we have to be in a relationship with God. See, David thought to himself, and he began to make bad decisions and he found himself in a place where he was grieving and he was without strength. See, when we begin to grieve, we need to get close to God. See, God wants to comfort us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he tries to kill the very plan for our lives by destroying our relationship with God and robbing us of our peace. The devil steals our peace by getting us to find comfort in so many things that will separate us from God. We'll go to things that just... We know that are not of God, but again, like David did, he wasn't, he wasn't seeking God, but he says he thought to himself, and he said, well, this is how I'm going to settle. This is how I'm going to find peace. I'm going to settle in the land of my enemies. What happens when we're grieving and we begin to, to separate ourselves from God, we begin to make some bad decisions. And what it does is it separates us from God. I am amazed at the amount of alcohol that is consumed while people are grieving, thinking that getting drunk and drowning your sorrows is going to bring comfort yeah, it may be for temporary until you pass out, but then you got to start all over again. Start all over again. I hear stories so many times of people that are grieving, and it's just like, oh, I just, I just need a little drink just to, to calm the nerves. But it is, it just begins to separate us from God. See, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus so he can comfort us, and we can take back our peace. Without the comfort and the peace that Jesus gives, what happens is 
our grief begins to turn to anger and bitterness. It talks about the men, how they were weeping and, and they wept till they couldn't weep no more, that they were out of strength. The very next verse in verse 6, it says, Now David was in great danger. Other versions say that David was in great distress because, listen to this, all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Think about that. These are the men who were loyal to David. They went to battle with David. They protected David. Now they talk of stoning him. Why? Because their grief turned to bitterness and they turned on him. The entire blame was laid at the feet of David because of their rob they were robbed of their families and their peace. We were robbed of our peace. We can find ourselves making bad decisions, listening to others, instead of trying to hear from God himself. See, they wanted to kill David. Begin to blame others. You know, we, this is what happens to us. We begin to blame others. Oh, it's your fault. And we point our finger at God in anger. God, this ain't right. This is not right. We know the story of Job, and it talks about how Job lost everything. But rarely do you hear about Job's wife, because Job's wife lost everything too. Understand, she lost all her kids and possessions and everything along with Job. And it says that instead of her, and, and, and I'm sure she was grieving, but instead of turning to God in Job 2.9, it says that Job's wife spoke to Job and she said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? She says, curse God and die. This is his fault. This is God's doing. She was grieving, that grief turned to anger, and she began to turn and say, you know what, God, this is your fault. Just curse him and die. This is what can happen when we grieve excessively. We lose our peace. It turns to bitterness and anger as David's men wanted to kill him. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves separate from God. As we separate ourselves from God by that excessive grieving, we also can spiral into a deep depression. Paul says, stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Be on the alert, pay attention, and begin to pray for all your brothers and sisters. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and ask God to show us those that need to take back their peace. I've seen so many through the years who've fallen away because they've allowed their pain and sorrow and excessive grief begin to rob them of their peace. And I've seen so many that began to turn to the world for comfort and it began to just drag them out of the church try to call them and say, hey, brother, you know, come back. And, and they're just like, and they're just so, they're just, at first they're just hurt, and then it just turns to anger and bitterness. How can God allow this? How can God do this? And all of a sudden, they find, they find them doing things that you just wouldn't imagine they're doing, and they separated themselves with God. Why? Because they let the thief come and rob them of their peace. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters we need to pray for them and ask God, you know what, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are grieving. God, let them turn to you and find strength and bring comfort that will give them their peace back so they can continue to live for you. You've got to be persistent in your prayers for one another, especially those that are grieving. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Again, pray for others. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Again, it's talking about praying for others. Begin to seek and, and, and intercede on their behalf and just get involved and, and ask God to help them. And that includes those who have had hearts that have been broken. Because it's sad to say, and it kind of goes along with what this whole uh, story with David 
And what, what happens is so many times there's those that will have their hearts broken. It's sad that there are those that will break our hearts. You know, that those that are close to you, spouse, a child, a sibling, close friend, they're going to do things that were going to hurt you and break your heart. Think about it. David's men wanted to kill him. I'm sure it just broke his heart. There's these guys that were just with him all the time, protecting him, you know, battling with him. And all of a sudden they're saying, we're going to kill you, David. This is all your fault. And I'm sure this broke his heart. It says David was in distress. And I'm sure this broke his heart. And in the midst of that, again, the devil again, when our hearts were broken, he could come in and try to rob us of our peace, remind us of how they hurt us. You know, you start asking, what did I do wrong? Why did they turn on me? Make you feel like nobody loves you, especially God. God don't love you. God doesn't care about you. We become bitter. Unforgiveness sets in. And we start to think to ourselves, who do they think they are? Again, we start turning on them. Who do they think they are? In 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 18, the story of Saul and David as Saul, again, is pursuing David. He's trying to kill him. And there's a conversation that Saul and David have. They're, they're yelling back and forth. And David says this to Saul. He says, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? He's asking, why are you pursuing me, Saul? What have I done? What am I guilty of? Saul broke David's heart. He served him faithfully, and Saul turned on him. He pursued him, wanting to kill him. And David, again, lost his peace, because after that, that's when he decided to settle in the land of his enemies. He no longer sought God, but he thought to himself, this is what I got to do. David, or Saul will stop pursuing me if I go settle in the lands of the Philistines. See, what happens when our hearts are broken, begin to again lose our peace we go seeking ungodly relationships go looking up old friends you know that start to distance us from god what happens we no longer trust in god but we start to trust in the world we begin to find people that say oh i understand i know what you're talking about there's no love in that church and the devil begins to come in and rob us of that peace first samuel 27 8 and 9 because as david settled in the land and in the shadow of his enemies, the Philistines, these were an ungodly, idol-worshiping people. But what happened is David and his men started to become just like them. In 1 Samuel 27, verse 8 and 9, it says, David and his men spent their time raiding the Geshurites, the Gizrites, and the Amicalites. David, and listen to this, David did not leave one person alive in the villages he attacked. He took the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkey, the camels, the clothing before returning home to see King Ashish. David and his men began to rob and pillage just like the Philistines because he took refuge with them. He didn't seek the Lord anymore, but he thought to himself, it's better that I settle with the Philistines. And what happened is he started to become just like him, start to rob, kill, and pillage the land. Second Corinthians, it tells us in 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? What is fellowship? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Basically telling us, don't go back to the world. Don't go back and start to stir up those old relationships that had you so far from God because of your heart being broken, because you lost your peace, because someone broke your heart. It says, don't go back to that old fellowship, because what does light have to do with darkness? So when we go back to the world with a broken heart, we begin to make bad decisions. This is exactly what David did. David ended up losing everything, and he was in fear of his life from his own people. 
because his heart was broken. He, Saul was pursuing him, and he just decided, you know what, it's better if I do it this way. Psalm 40, 147, verse 3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Even though it may be wrong or unfair or unjust at the time, God wants to heal our broken heart. God wants to say, you know what, I want to restore I want to restore your life. I want to restore your family. I want there to be forgiveness. I want you just to let it go. God wants to heal that broken heart because when we allow that heart to stay broken, that's where we lose peace, and this is when we begin to make bad decisions and turn back to the world. We need to take back that peace because God has so much for us. We need to pray for the brokenhearted. Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 he said, when I think of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. He's talking about, I'm getting on my knees and praying. The creator of everything in heaven and earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He's talking about praying for us, praying for others. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. He's talking about maturing and growing as he's praying that we come closer to God. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. So the devil lies to us because our hearts are broken. He begins to say, they don't love you. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares. No love in the church. You know, God doesn't love you. But Paul says, I pray that you would understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is for you, that you may experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. He says that love is so big that you can't even understand it. He talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. He talks about the love that surpasses all understanding. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from, the abundant, from God. He says that you will be made complete the fullness of life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life in abundance. And Paul says that you would have that fullness of life. It's important that we pray for those that are grieving, those that are with a broken heart, those that are struggling financially, those that are having health issues. During a refresh summit, Pastor Sergio Gonzalez preached on Friday morning. A powerful message. If, if you haven't heard it, you can find it on YouTube, on our YouTube page. And he was preaching on the, 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 the seed that survived. But then he started sharing of his experience as a pastor. Some of the experiences he had through the number of years that he's been pastoring there in Palm Springs. And he said one of the struggles he has is just getting people to want to serve. To want to serve. One of the things he said, one of the biggest trials is maintaining a church building. It's just a struggle, he says, sometimes maintaining a church building. He says, man, if the money doesn't come in, he goes, I just cover it. Pastor Jimmy Arderis in our men's track the next morning, or the same morning, gave a powerful testimony. Again, sharing his experiences as a pastor and sharing some of the great things that God had done in his life, the places that God has taken him all over the world and sharing the things that God was doing. But he also started sharing of some of the opposition that he faced. You know, that, that the things, issues that he was going through, you know, people not wanting him there in the city, people coming against him, people trying to take him to court. But he said this statement, he says, we're not done. Amen. Pastor Dan, this Sunday, talking about when he was in East Long Beach, he was getting ready to have a Bible study. He's just praying, God, just bring someone. Bring someone to this Bible study. 
And I started looking at these men, these men who have given their lives to serve others. These that have just given it all up to serve others. And it brought me to this next point. We need to pray for our spiritual leaders. We need to pray for our spiritual leaders. We need to pray for our pastors. But I also want to include those that are serving in the house of the Lord as a leader in God's house. Why? Because the enemy will come and try to steal your peace also. As leaders, as pastors in the house of God, the devil is going to try to steal our peace, and we need to pray for them. In Hebrews chapter 13, um, yeah, 13 verse 17, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. So the others translate, they say, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them. But it doesn't stop there. People read that. It's like, why do I got to submit to them? I, you know, I don't mind. They cut, they, 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 people like to use white out. They use a black marker to take that part out. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. He says, why? Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them the reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Our spiritual leaders, our pastors are accountable to God. It says their work is to keep us on the right path. They're watching over our souls. They're trying to keep us on the right path. It's just not a title. They think, oh, you got the title of leader and pastor. Oh, it must be so great. No, it's work. He says this is their work. This is their duty. This is the responsibility to watch over your souls. And it's a heavy responsibility to watch over people's lives. It's not always easy. Why? Because people get so offended. You know, people don't want to be accountable. Especially at times when you have to correct somebody. It's, it's not enjoyable when you have to correct somebody. It's like, oh, I get to rebuke that brother today. I'm so excited. No, it's hard having to correct somebody, but it's necessary at times. Why? Because we're watching over your soul. We're trying to make sure you make it to heaven. We're saying, brother, you're going in the wrong direction. Come this way. Oh, who do you think you are? And people don't want to be accountable. It's not easy at times. People think that we just take great pleasure in trying to, you know, correct and go around and point fault. No, we're trying to watch over your souls, trying to make sure you make it to heaven. It says give them a reason to do it with joy and not sorrow. God, let it be a joy to work with you. You have a leader, you have a pastor. Ask God, God, am I being a joy to them or am I being the very opposite? It's sad when you ask somebody to do something and they just do the total opposite. You know, they don't answer your calls, your text messages, their emails. It's sad when you have to deal with someone that doesn't respect you because they think they know more than you. You know what you're talking about. People think that, oh, it's so easy being a pastor or a leader in the house of God. No, there's people we have to deal with. They just like, you know, they just don't respect you. He says, let it be done with joy and not sorrow because it won't be a benefit to you if you're putting them through trials every time they have to talk to you. I remember one time I was talking to a brother, and this is years ago. He was telling me he had a calling on his life. He, he had a calling that he wanted to, you know, he felt that God was calling him to be a pastor, to preach. I said, that's great. Every time somebody tells me, the first thing I tell him is, talk to Pastor Richard. Let him know. He can give you some insight. He can give you some direction. He can help you. You know, the, build a relationship with Pastor Richard. And this is what he told me. He says, what's he going to tell me that I don't really know? That was his response to me. What's he going to tell me that I don't really know? I told him, brother, 
First of all, he's the one that's going to send you out. You better have a relationship with him. My brother wasn't here very much longer after that. But that's many times you have to deal with people that don't want to be accountable, that don't want to accept, you know, correction. The Bible says, let it be done with joy, not sorrow. That's why it's so important that we need to pray for our pastors, our spiritual leaders. The devil lies to our spiritual leaders, and he'll try to discourage them, try to rob them of their peace. You know, it, it, it'd be sad if they just didn't find joy in it no more. Always having to deal with people, oh, God, this and that, and the weight of people just doing everything they want. And it'd be sad if they no longer just say, you know, just do what you want. God, help us if that happens. Because it says it will be no benefit to you. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 18, right after that scripture where it talks about, you know, they're watching over your souls. Then they write, he says, pray for us. He's asking for prayer. He says, we're, we're spiritual leaders. Pray for us. For our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. We have the right motive. Do what's right. You know, they have the right motive. They're doing what's right. They're leading you to the cross of Calvary. Their motive is right. They're trying to lead you to Jesus. He says, pray for us because our, our, our motives are right. We need to take serious that request and pray for our spiritual leaders. Paul writes of his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, are these servants of Christ? I know, I sound like a madman, it's Paul writing. But I have served far more. I have worked harder, been in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. He's talking about his ministry here. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a night... I spent a whole night and a day at the sea, adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people. Probably had his heart broken because his own people turned on him. The Jews as well as the Gentiles. I faced dangers in cities, in the deserts, and the seas. I faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. People that are just not accountable. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. Again, working endless hours. The old saying, burning the candle at both ends. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, and this is the one I look at here, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. As I read this, I thought of all our pastors that are out there that have that daily burden and concern for their churches. And Pastor Sergio Gonzalez talked about just making the rent, just making the rent. And he said if it didn't come in, he would have to put it in. Pastor Jimmy, when he's talking about dealing with those that don't even want you in their city, he said people were taking him to court trying to run him off because the Royal Rangers were playing basketball in the parking lot. It's all the opposition. Having to pray to God that God would bring in the finances for a roof repair. Think about that. Because that don't fall on all of us. It falls on one person. We just go home. We have somebody that has to worry about this roof repair. I think about the time these men spend preparing sermons, Bible studies. Paul called it my daily burden, but my concern for all the churches. It's so important that we pray 
that God would provide all that they need and give them the wisdom and the peace that they need. Ephesians 6, 19, again, he says, pray also for me. He's asking for prayer again. And when I speak, God's word may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel. Again, he's saying, pray for me. So important that we pray for our spiritual leaders. As leaders, we may not have the responsibility or the burden of caring for the churches, but we have the responsibility and the concern to watch over the souls that God has placed in our care. We have that responsibility, and it's important to pray over those leaders. Pastor Bernie talked about it at our men's track, talked about those that wear multiple hats, those that are leaders in multiple ministries. We need to pray for them. They're doing this and that and this and that. We pray that God would help them and strengthen them, that they wouldn't lose their joy and get burned out because people were opposing them. The story in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse, 11, verse 8 when, one day, Elijah went to a town of Shinnom, Shinnom. A wealthy woman lived there, and she would invite him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops from time to time is a holy man of God. She says, let's build him a small room for him on the roof. Let's furnish it with a table, a bed, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay when he comes by. One day, Elisha returned, for Shin- Shinnom, returned to Shinnom, and he went to the upper room to rest. He was getting a little peace and a little quiet. This woman saw that there was a need, that the man of God just needed a place to rest, just needed a place to just not have to worry about where he was going to have to eat or stay. But she said, let's just build him a room. Let's, let's, let's fill that need. There's a need here. Let's fill that re- need And she provided that place for Elijah to rest. In Psalm 48, it says, In peace I will lie down, or 4 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. The last thing I want to look at is take it back. The whole series is surrounded by, based on taking it back. When the devil tries to rob us of our peace, we need to take our peace back. It says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? God says, Pursue them. He answered, You will certainly overtake them and succeed to rescue. God, David is inquiring of the Lord. But it started with David having to go draw close to God, turning back to him for guidance. Remember how David basically was out peace, and he says, I'll settle with the Philistines. I'll settle with my enemy. But now David comes to a place where he's in distress. They want to kill him. He says, David was greatly distressed. He had no peace because the men were trying to, were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in the spirit because of sons and daughters. He says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David turned his heart back to God. Yes, David made some mistakes, and he was reaping the mistakes he made. It caused him distress. He was in fear for his life, but then he decided to seek God. No longer was he trusting in himself, but he began to trust in God. And it began, it says that God began to strengthen him. His faith was restored. He began to trust in God, and he was, you know, he focused back on God. And God says, yes, pursue them. You will succeed. Psalm 34, 14, it says, turn from evil and do good. David was finding himself doing evil. It says he was pillaging and robbing the land. He was killing people. It says, turn from evil and do good. He began to turn back to God. And it says, seek peace and pursue it. Turn back to God. 
We can't let the devil rob us of our peace. We need to seek it, pursue it, and pray for it. The worship team can come up. In Isaiah 26, 3, you'll keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. David began to trust in the Lord again. No longer was he trusted in himself, but he sought the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. And it says, he will keep in perfect peace all who trust you. When we begin to trust in God and we seek God, he will keep us in perfect peace. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Keeping our thoughts on God, keeping our mind on God. Again, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. The world's peace is temporary. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters in Philippians, because it says, for all those whose thoughts are fixed on you, in Philippians, Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on that which is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's talking about thinking of things that are good, things of things that are positive, no longer thinking of the pain and the struggle and the suffering and the lies of the devil, but thinking of these good things. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. It says, then the God of peace will be with you. Isaiah says, he will keep us in perfect peace those that trust in you and their thoughts are fixed on you. Paul says, think on these things, these things that are good and honorable and right and pure, and the peace of God will be with you. See, in John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil wants to steal our peace, send us down the wrong path, cause us to become, you know, anger and bitter and turn ourselves away from God. But Jesus says, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus wants to give us a life that's just far better than we can imagine. That we'd have the fullness of him. That we'd be in the presence of God. That we would experience God doing so many miracles in our lives. Why? Because he wants to give us an abundant life. A better life than we were living. A better life than we had out in the world. Jesus says, I want to give you a better life, an abundant life. Why don't we stand tonight?